Christmas podcast. I'm Craig Kringle. As one of my favorite authors, Michael Sisko, once wrote, I am the hallucination of a homeless man named Declend. He does not know this because I don't appear to him. I'm a hallucination, so I seem more than I am, and I'm always good company. If there are any indifferent or boring hallucinations, I've never heard of any. This quote has nothing to do with Christmas. It is weird, so it's appropriate, but otherwise I just like Michael Sisko and hope you guys will read him. Anyway, welcome to the fifth, yes, fifth annual Weird Christmas Flash Fiction Contest results show. This is now five years of wonderful people writing wonderfully weird little stories about our wonderfully wild and woolly holiday season, all for our enjoyment and discomfort and pleasant literary confusion and, of course, their fame and fortune. When all was said and done this year, I got over 300 entries. And as usual, there were way more great ones than I could actually use. And I know I say this every year, but I had to turn away stories I love just because I get so many more than I can really use. So as I also say every year, when I have to send out notes to folk whose stories did not make it, I'm not judging just by quality. If you submitted one and didn't make it on the show, I'm sorry, it doesn't mean it was a bad story. So I try to find a good mix when I do this thing of funny, weird horror, gross, surreal, etc. And sometimes it just comes down to what I think will make for a great mix of stories to listen to. This year, I'm giving out four major awards. And Sorry, I figured I should get like one standard Christmas movie reference in there. Uh, anyway, um, but I did this last year where first we have an overall winner that could be of any category and I have a $75 prize for that one. Then there's the cryptid category, which should be about some new weird monster or creature that's connected to Christmas or winter holidays. This was definitely a popular category this year. Got a ton of entries on that one. Next is a weird card category. You take one of my delightfully odd little old Victorian cards I post on social media all the time and base a story on it. And then there's the stocking stuffer category, which is just about anything else. Still got to keep you open and free for all the weirdos. So I'm able, like I said, to give out $75 to the overall prize and then $50 to each category winner. Um, I'm hoping in the future to be able to pay like full professional rates for every story on the show and not just the winners. Uh, according to the Science Fiction Writers Association, SFWA, which I kind of use as a standard, that would really mean about $17 for every 350 words. It's hardly a living wage, but that's what I'm shooting for. I do give or I offer at least a smaller amount to every honorable mention. But a lot of times people tell me just to keep it or donate it or keep it for the next year and things like that. And I'm always appreciative, but I do pay people for the stories here. And speaking of those prizes, I am going to say one more time, all the money for the prizes for this show have come from donations. So most of it this year was from my Patreon account. I've said in an early episode, yeah, I'm going to shut down my Patreon because I just haven't been able to really produce stuff regularly for people. But the rest has come from donations through ko-fi.com, K-O. 
bit.ly-fi.com slash weird Christmas. And if you want to help me keep the contest going and even make it bigger and better next year, please consider throwing a bit of cash my way. That is ko-fi.com slash weird Christmas. Links are also up at weirdchristmas.com where you can read all of these stories as well. So if there's one you want to go back to or if you want to find out more about the author, I've included bios of each author that I've asked them to write with links and whatnot. That's on there too. So you can donate money to me and go buy their books and stories that are out there. All kinds of good stuff at weirdchristmas.com. So just to explain my rationale for how I narrow down 300 stories to this year, it's 19, I believe. Um, how do I do that? So my rationale for what stories get on the show and who wins, there's really no rationale. <laughs> it's my contest. So it's my weird sense of taste that's the final arbiter. I do always have a couple friends and my wife and this year, even my kids who are old enough now to read them, I read them all too, um, or at least the final batch. There's really no way I could make everybody read 300 stories they've offered sometimes but i don't know that they really would but i get it down to a crop of about 50 or so and then we all dive in there's always lots of good agreement disagreement questioning each other's viewpoints on literary quality and life and their morality in general but in the end i make the final decisions and look i don't even pretend to choose the winners based on some objective sense of quality Okay, I go with those stories that scratch my itch for being somehow about Christmas or winter holidays, but also outright odd. Okay, that's sometimes disturbingly odd, sometimes cute odd, sometimes funny odd, sometimes inexplicably odd. It all depends on how that particular story works and strikes me. So if someone else is running the show with the same stories, they might have an entirely different crop of winners. But that, friends, is the truth of the aesthetic life. It is pure chaos and capriciousness. And before we get to the actual stories themselves, I do want to give one general content warning. These stories are not for kids, unless your kid has an incredibly mature ability to withstand disturbing content and honestly no illusions anymore about Christmas. So a good half of these stories might count as full-on horror stories. There's language, blood, even a few truly horrible and potentially even offensive situations. But that, friends, is the point. Weird isn't weird if it's comfy and cozy. So remember you were warned, and if you're the right kind of person, that warning is a good invitation. So this year, instead of waiting for all the winners to go at the end, I figured I'd sprinkle them throughout and then still leave the overall winner for the very end. In fact, we're even going to start with the winner of the stocking stuffer category, the grab bag of everything. And by the way, unless I say otherwise, all the stories are read by the author. For this one, I'm going to say otherwise, because it was read by my friend Old Man Freak Boy. And you should definitely look for his old Christmas shows on his radio show where he would get all kinds of great weird Christmas music together. There'll be links on the website again, weirdchristmas.com for him. But this first story read by Old Man Freak Boy for us is called An Angel for Christmas by Han White Oak. My parents have gone all out this year. When I arrive, there's a real angel on top of the tree. We thought we'd give it a try, Mom says. They're getting quite popular. The angel stares miserably down. His arms are tied behind him. Pine needles skewer his feet to the trunk. The hems of his robes are stained brown with old blood. His lips are sewn shut. I never thought my parents would be into this kind of thing. Dad explains they're the last household in the street not to have an angel. It gets to you, he says, knowing they're all looking at you and thinking you can't afford it. 
The pile of the gifts under the tree is smaller than usual. The angel has used up most of the budget. Still, on Christmas morning, I act delighted with the designer socks, although they're less comfortable than my usual ones. On the twelfth day, Mum asked me for help putting the angel away in the attic. Aren't you supposed to send them back to heaven, I ask? What a waste. He'll do another year, won't he? A shining tear dribbles down the angel's rosy cheek. Needles scrape my hands as I pull the stakes from his feet. Watch out, Dad says. It might kick. We should have paid for the disposal, Mum says. The installation man recommended the full package. Get it in the bloody box, Dad shouts. I can manage, I say. Go and sit down. He stomps off. From the other room, the TV starts to blare. Mum follows, shouting him to turn it down. I untie the angel's arms. His hands move stiffly, like being tied up so long has done permanent damage. It's all right, I whisper, leading him to the fireplace. You're free. I give him a reassuring smile, wondering how he'll show his gratitude. I'll get it in the neck for my parents, but it's worth it to know I've done a good deed. Before he disappears up the chimney, the angel stares at me with eyes full of hate. Now, when I set up the show every year, I always imagine trying to alternate between creepy or gross and funny ones. But in practice, it's sometimes just downright impossible to figure out where to draw that line between funny and disturbing. But that, of course, is part of the fun. So is this next one funny if the first one was a little more dark? You know, I don't really know. This next one's read by Scott Newman of the Tinsel Tunes podcast, which is great and dives into the history of Christmas carols. So please whet your appetite for Demon Dinner by Mark Saws. It molded itself with the couple's rancid ham, curdled potatoes, black-flecked banana pudding, and turkey baked the consistency and color of toxic sludge. A sesame seed bun's worth of eyes blinked from its body, foul mouths filling the spaces between. Glenn and Glenda were both gobsmacked, so it spoke first. You summoned me, said the succubus. What do you want? We, Glenn stammered, uncertain where to look since no eyes were paired. We need help with Christmas dinner. The kitchen was something apocalyptic, and charred gravy sigils made the dining room its match, save for the orderly place settings atop the lengthy dining table. But that was what Great Graham's recipe book said to do, and you never changed Graham's recipes, or it all went to hell. Decided to host this year? Its mouths gurgled, grinning. It was a mistake, Glenda whispered, transfixed by a cooking vision rivaling the manifested demon. I'd like to help, but there's a problem. What? It laughed nervously. I suppose it won't be a shock to hear. You botched this recipe, too. Instead of being bound to serve you dinner, I'm bound to eat you. Nothing personal. It's the rules. Wait, no, you just hold on. We got it perfect. The succubus apologized profusely, nabbing a cloth handkerchief. Opening its numerous jaws to incomprehensible widths, it charged. Bad as Glenn and Glenda were at cooking, though, they were excellent eaters. Wrestling utensils from the tabletop, they fended their foe by fork, by knife, by sometimes spoon. With panther agility, they refused the demon's advances 
matching might for might. The battle became ferocious once family arrived. Raiding cabinets with hangry hands, they yawped into the fray. Stabbing, piercing, tenderizing, chopping, slicing, dicing, brazing, flambéing, injecting, mincing. And, at long last, skewering their enemy. They beat their breasts in victory in dreams of impending heartburn. Cousin Edith, who admitted she should have never let Glenn and Glenda host in the first place, dressed and prepared the meal. This is one of our better Christmases, Uncle Judd said, savoring scrumptious succubus carcass, the rest of the clan nodding. That story was inspired by one of the cards, and if you go over to weirdchristmas.com to look at the page for the contest, anytime a story was chosen from the weird cards category, I put a link to that card up there so you can actually see it. Now, some of my favorite stories, not just here on the show, but out in the rest of the world, they're more mood pieces where nothing really actually like happens. <laughs> I don't think that's quite right about this next one, but it does brush up against it just a little bit. And still, there's a wonderful mood created here that blurs a few lines I can think of, and I'm all for blurred lines. So here is Pretend by Sarah Hodge Weatherby. She's starting to see it out of the corner of her eye 12 days after her husband's death when the house's silence was pressing hard around her. She had never been alone in all of her life, and now she was always alone. Our friends and neighbors came to check on her, and she was thankful. In all the ways that mattered, though, she was alone when the dark and the cold set in. She had hardly noticed Christmas was creeping on her, low to the ground like a half-starved animal. It was always there, the thing that stayed only in the corner of her eye, a shadow that wasn't a shadow, that looked like what was now in the center of her. It would vanish if she looked right at it, but it took a little longer to fade as time passed. So she started to avoid looking, just so it would stay longer. She told no one. They wouldn't understand. So tonight, December 24th, she set the table for two and lit the candles. She laid out the beef roast and a warm fruitcake and waited in the dim light. And then it came again, no longer melting away when she looked directly at it. It looked almost human. I made your favorite, Bruce, she said. Merry Christmas, she said. It was silent, and the words that came were more impressions than natural sounds. I am not your husband. I know, she said. But just for tonight, can you pretend? It's Christmas, you see, she gestured to the table, showing what she couldn't properly find words for. It paused again and then silently slipped into the chair across from her, looking at her with a face that was not at all a face. Was there pity there? Could the void understand loneliness? Wasn't Christmas the time of miracles, even if they were dark ones? She nodded a little and poured the wine. My very good Twitter friend, Dustin Perry, read this next one for us. Dustin is an excellent motivational speaker and professional ghost hunter, or was. He was on Ghost Hunters back in the day, and I should ask him if he still <laughs> hunts as a hobby now. Um, but I love how he read this one because it reminds me of back when I was teaching high school, 
and actually taught the very famous tale that this story is kind of a take on. Um, the kids I taught would never really read. <laughs> and the textbook came with an audio book that I would often just break down and play for them to avoid just constant frustration for all of us. But Dustin's reading in many places sounds exactly like that old audiobook that I would listen to over and over again year after year. But I digress. I hope here you will enjoy Advent by Doug Jensen. It's made from national cacao, I said brightly. It's quite rare. I saw Felix's lip curl in a slight snare at my deliberate overpronunciation. He popped the remaining piece of chocolate in his mouth. Not bad, he said, rolling his tongue behind his teeth. Of course, you can probably get the stuff in bars at Fortnum's, you know. We were standing in the basement kitchen of my townhouse. I could just make out the faint strains of Mariah Carey overhead. Felix took a swig of wine and belched, not bothering to cover his mouth. You've done all right for yourself, he gestured, slopping wine on the white tiles in the process. His eyes seemed a little off, as if he was having trouble focusing. This is what you wanted to show me? I smiled coyly and pressed the switch beneath the counter. A sleek black panel in the wall slid away, revealing a narrow passageway illuminated by pale green spotlights. Felix laughed and lurched sideways. I caught him by the arm and led him unresisting down the corridor into a large red room lined with black panels. Felix was mumbling incoherently. His eyes rolled back in his head. I gently guided him into a small metal alcove. To ensure his comfort, I placed his arms into a pair of restraints. Then it only remained to take the spare panel and slot it into the gap behind him. Some fixative, and the whole thing was tightly secured. It took a while for Felix to grasp his situation. I leaned against the wall and listened to him moan and rage until eventually I told them I really had to go. Farewell, Felix, I called. I'm afraid my other guests are waiting. For God's sake, man, came a mournful cry. Don't leave me here alone. I had to laugh. As I left to rejoin the party, I took one last look at the room lined with black panels, now 24 in total. I switched out the light and closed the door behind me. I'm not going to tell you what story Doug was doing an homage to there. I'll let you figure it out. The next one is fun. It got me, is all I'll say. Maybe I should have seen it coming, but whatever. I love it. This is Mushroom Miracle by Sherry Morris. Tell me again, slowly, Maureen says, towering over him. After seven years of itchy marriage, Doug would recognize her warning tone even if he was suddenly struck deaf. He sits up straighter on the couch. After you went Christmas shopping, the doorbell rang. 
a mushroom offered to entertain the twins for the afternoon. They'd been super irritating, talking throughout the game, changing the channel. I said okay. Doug smiles weakly, doesn't meet Maureen's eye. You said okay to the mushroom, she replies. Her voice is calm, light. Doug is instantly wary of this serene Maureen. I haven't been drinking or doing drugs, honest. No, she says, and her lips twist into a tight smile. You've been conversing with a mushroom. Handed over our children. He had a child care license, a trustworthy face, Doug thinks back. He was elf size, wore a festive red cap with white dots. There was something more. He was Christmassy somehow, like a mushroom miracle. Maureen snorts, <laughs> a mushroom miracle. It doesn't sound miraculous in her mouth. I gave him 50 bucks, said he'd get a hundred more when he brought them back in a few hours. Maureen's eyes flash anger. You paid him too? You know what the twins are like. I couldn't expect him to take them for free. Maureen nods. They went willingly? <laughs> Absolutely. He had snacks. And drinks. Glasses of heated lemonade. Apparently that's a thing now. He said they'd be worn out when they came back. Let's hope, Maureen says. They looked Christmas happy, straddling the mushroom, bundled up tight. I don't remember any seat belts, though. There'd be trouble for that. Doug sighs. He misses the days when they didn't fight so much. I waved as they lifted off into flight. Before he can say another word, Maureen slides out of her coat to reveal a form-fitting, barely-there Santa's little helper dress. Several hours, you said? Maureen plumps the cushions, positions herself on the couch. Skies are so busy this time of year. Bound to be delays. And in that moment, Doug has an epiphany. The true reason for this magical season is mushrooms. Next up is the winner of the weird card category. Now, for the card, I want you to imagine a simple Christmas postcard. I'd say the first thing you notice are all the presents piled up on the ground, but I'd be lying. The first thing you notice is the giant red tank, and yes, as an army tank, pointing its cannon at some kids. The next thing you'll notice is the angel, or maybe if you know your Central and Eastern European Christmas figures, it might be the Christkind poking its head up out of the tank. And yeah, it's shooting presents at some kids. That card inspired this story, the winner of the weird card category, Christ Punzer, by Mark Mance. 
The soldiers are panicking. They talk about enemy tank spearheads headed toward the Danube. My grandfather is unconcerned. He says Hungary is good tank country, and the enemy will be here soon. Then I'll never have to be hungry again. Grandfather was in a war long ago. Rarely does he remember my name, but he relives that war in his dreams. After dark, I sneak out of the basement. Mother must hear me. She has not slept in months, but she does not stop me. Our soldiers are fleeing the village. One soldier asks me for civilian clothes. I bring him my father's things. Father doesn't need them anymore. Explosions dance on the eastern horizon. The booms fill my chest, and that feels pleasant. In an old barn where many soldiers had slept, I find their makeshift Christmas tree. No presents beneath it, but they did leave a pot of soup on their dead fire. I eat from it until I'm sick. Then I wait. The earth shakes as monstrous black shapes roll down the road. A shining light pours from the open hatch of one tank. I realize it's the tank commander shining so beautifully. His brilliant halo pushes away the dark. Hiding does not occur to me. The angel's aura entrances me even as the tank threatens to run me down. The deafening machine halts. The angel's great wings spread. What is your name? He asks in broken Hungarian. I tell him. What? He barks. I tell him again. And now he seems to understand. He speaks heaven's tongue to his compatriots below and they laugh. Raucous and metallic. The angel says something incomprehensible to human ears. He then pulls a gift-wrapped box from below and tosses it to me. Merry Christmas, he cackles in my language. A propaganda flyer is attached to the present. Under the image of the cross, it reads, There is no more repentance. You will be judged. Inside the box, I find my father's head. He opens his mouth and speaks to me, describing the horrors that follow in the tank's wake. This next story is sad, yet determined, yet goofy. It's kind of perfect. It still makes me cry, and I don't know really what else to say. So here is my good friend Lisa reading You Can't Catch Me by Morgan Melhuish. Birth is just a recipe, two ingredients, and lots of luck. That's what my grandma used to say. Sugar and spice and all things nice. That was another of her favorites, kindly tapping my button nose and hoping to distract me from the facts of life. You were more than that, much more. It was Yuletide, and I'd wanted to make gingerbread in her honor. I'd watched her fashioning figures with lemon icing eyes and smiles, a skewered hole in the head to thread red ribbon through. When you bake, you give a piece of your heart, Grandma had said, another hallmark homily. I'm not sure what I gave you as I arranged each ingredient on the tabletop and tapped them with a wooden spoon. From the golden block of butter 
to the hardened brown sugar, I weighed and stirred, trying to summon the memory of something I'd lost. For my eight-year-old self, it had been a tough year. Grandma hadn't given all of her heart in gifts and cookies and cakes. There was still enough arteries thick with cream and salted caramel to burst, a sickly, sweet coronary. So while snow fell like sifted flour outside, I conjured, I kneaded, and when it was done, the stoop of our log cabin seemed the perfect place to let the dough chill and rest. When I returned, hours later, the bowl was empty, a crystal rim of frost forming. If only I'd known it was tantamount to abandoning a child to the wilds. No wonder you became feral, my gingerbread Bigfoot, my spiced Sasquatch, made of such sweet stuff. You had to protect yourself from winged predators with claws, from squirrels and rodents that nipped, to say nothing of the bears and coyote. No wonder you shunned humanity. I've glimpsed you, though, stalking through the pines. I've seen your flint-sharp eyes, your sticky, shaggy pelt, the gut-wrenching recognition of a mother for her child. It's why I return to the forest each Christmas, armed with candy canes and gifts, and my inherited Hallmark homilies, hoping for reconciliation. This next one is one that I'm going to admit none of my other readers liked. <laughs> okay, but I don't care. I love it. It has the kind of weird, heartfelt, surreal that kind of gets me through most days. If I didn't believe that the world was really like this, I wouldn't get up in the morning. So here's O Come All Ye Faithful by Joshua Stewart. Midnight Mass. Give peace to your neighbors, commands the priest. I always end up shaking hands with the guy who wipes his hands across his nose. So I dive down under the pew. I think I'm alone, but from two rows back, I see an old couple slither on their bellies, heading my way. We're trying to cheat death, says the old man who smells of boiled cabbage. To kill time, we play a few hands of pinochle. And by the third round, I look up from my crummy cards to see half the congregation under the pews, each with their own reason. I hope those choir ladies haven't quit their day jobs, mutters a man in a Santa Claus hat. I caught an altar boy staring at my chest, says a woman in a low-cut v-neck. Then a guy tanked up on eggnog begins to belt out Christmas carols. Soon we're all singing, face down on the floor, our arms flung across each other's backs. We roll from side to side to simulate a collective swaying, and I feel like we belong to one big, happy family. I don't even care who has what on their hands. The next story is one that I think is the only story I've ever gotten on this topic. Um, I get a lot of evil Santas. I get tons of wars at the North Pole, lots of like elves unionizing against Santa, stuff like that. 
but not too many origin stories of this common Christmas thing. In fact, like I said, I don't think any others before. But let's just dive right in. Which, you. So here's Where Did You Think It Came From? by Elizabeth Gilt. Steve paused outside the door for a moment. He'd helped out all his life. Obviously, he was a galliard, but this was different. He was 12 now. The juvenile pair were his, his creatures, his responsibility. His profit, too, if the harvest went well. All he'd had to do so far was open the shed door every few days and sling in a goat carcass. But last week, he'd heard the male's teeth chattering in the night, heard him scraping his long, bony forelimbs together and known it was nearly time. On Sunday, he'd wrestled the male into a separate cage, scooping up four legs in each arm and bracing the furry back against his own stomach. One of his earliest memories was watching Grandfather Galliard caging males, expertly bunching the frantic spindly limbs through the small doors. Now the stink of the pheromones burned the back of Steve's nose until he couldn't tell if the breathlessness was from the chemical reek or his own excitement. He opened the shed door. The male was squashed up against the cage, teeth gnashing the air and striking sparks from the bars. The female was circling, circling, her rear four legs bent and her abdomen rocking against the concrete floor. Steve hefted the spindle in one hand and took a deep, choking breath. He pressed her down, his stomach heaving like it always did as moist, matted fur oozed warm glitter under his fingers. He caught a loose end from her spinnerets and began spooling. Once the first bloody lengths were out, he gasped. Pale rose-gold strands wound damply onto the bobbin. Rose-gold was such an unusual colour, and it was thick too and bushy. Steve wound faster and faster, already calculating the prices he would get at the tinsel markets. You beauty, he murmured. He pulled the pin from the male's cage and he ran. For this next story, I cast a pretty wide net for a reader to find someone who I really liked. And I was so lucky to find this person who goes by Witch Reflection on Tumblr and said she just wants to use that handle. So... She contacted me on Tumblr after I put out a general request just for someone who could read in a couple specific ways, and it turned out perfect. So this story is about an old, largely Mexican folk tale, though you can find examples of it in other Central and South American versions that I found. But I wanted someone with an authentic voice for it, and the author wasn't really prepared to do it themselves, which I always give people the option. But which reflection is pretty much exactly how both the author and I imagine the character. So I hope you'll enjoy Up on the Rooftop by L.L. Garland. December 22nd. Neva cowered beneath the covers, scolding herself for losing her nerve. Feeble louder echoed from her roof, the footfalls lighter than she expected. If Neva had any hope of replacing the watch by Christmas, the one she snuck from under the tree and warned to school, she will need some high-power help, and soon. December 23rd. Neva was ready. She grabbed her back and the cookies on her next stand, then climbed the pecan tree up to the roof. Something pale and fat crouched near the chimney. It heard the crunch of dry lips beneath Neva's shoes, 
feather spiked along the thing's back. Head rotated on an arlet neck. Moonlight fell on wet black eyes in a green grey face. La, la lechuza. Neva struck tightened. The old woman's head tilt. You know me. My abuelo said you are a witch from his village. Come closer, this the child. Are you disappointed I am not the fat old white man bringing you toys? She croaked, stalking towards Neva. Click, click, The lechuza slammed into an invisible wall. You should be more careful, Bruja. A jar trembled in Neva's small hands. Cloudy liquid slushed around a single feather. Abuelo told me all about you. He also took me this binding spell. The lechuza snatched at the jar, but the wall stopped her. It worked. The old woman was at her mercy. Neva made her sing Feliz Navidad, just to be sure. You will bring me exactly what I want, just like Santa. Then we're even forever. Deal? Yellow lips burst, the lechuza nut. Here, I think you might be hungry. Neva tossed her the packet of Oreos, then sat on the shingles. See, there is this bully, a teenager, who stole my watch. December 24th. Click. 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 Close tapping on glass summoned Neva to the window. She opened it to find the watch dripping blood on the casement. Relief, she flung the binding jar. Glass shattered in the street. Merry Christmas! Agreeably, whoo, 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 answered in the distance. Okay, so if you're paying close attention, you may have noticed that some of the authors have shown up already from previous years. I do get loads of repeat offenders, and it's always hard to strike a good balance between new writers and people whose styles I've really come to love. And that's one reason the first year only had about a dozen stories total, and now I'm up to almost 20. I just get way too much good stuff. But what I love even more is when someone has submitted something for a couple years, but then for whatever reason just didn't make the cut. This next story is by a writer whose stories have ended up in my final batch of 50 or so every year he submitted one, but I kept cutting it at the last minute. Honestly, I don't even remember why, really, but I love his persistence, and I love that he's had all these stories about the same character each time. Santocules, the Red Wizard. So by this point, there's a whole back canon of like Santocules adventures, which is really cool. And it's finally time to share one with everybody else. So here is The Peppermint Golem by Leo Siren. The Peppermint Golem by Leo Siren. The beast, which should not have existed, crashed up through solid ice like a shark breaching water. It could burrow for years, feed for weeks. It stabilized on two crimson-hooved feet, though it had many more. Striped red and white horns curled around many times, each coming to point at one side of the Red Wizard's head. The Red Wizard Santocules remained still. The peppermint golem regarded him at length, eyes a swirl of blood and snow, before demanding, Why here? 
sickly sweet nog breath filled Santocules's nostrils and mouth like hot sauna steam, unfiltered by his thick beard. The beast's speech was basic, but the sound impossibly complex. Not one voice, but thousands in unison. Lilting sing-song, sad moan, terrified screech, accents from throughout the world, but all innocent. Why disturb? The multitudinous hiss asked. Not one among the myriad stuttered or fell out of rhythm, though some were so childlike as to barely form words. Don't leave, we'll kill. It was a dreadful voice, more so to know from whence it came. The simultaneous speech of every child ever poisoned by the golem's tasty traps. It would hide beneath roadside snow with only the thick lengths of horn exposed. Children took them for the broken pieces of a grand peppermint sweet that had fallen from some master confectioner's cart on its way to the Lord's Winter's Dark Feast. With but a single lick, their names were writ unto the naughty side of Santocules's scrolls forever. They were still out there, alive or something like it. Santocules knew because they visited his workshop more each year, wailing and hacking through the walls with shards of red and white glass. His elfish helpers, stunted by long generations of inbreeding, barely repelled the last wave. Santa licked his lips. He had taken the antidote the elves brewed exactly two hours prior, as instructed. He had not eaten in two days. Come at me then, Santocules roared with a hearty ho ho. He swatted the massive horns out of his face. You said you'd kill me, devil. Now let's see if you mint it. <laughs> I knew immediately this next one would have to be on the show. Science fiction stories are hard for my little contest here. I only get a few here and there, and most of them don't really work. <laughs> That's one reason why I like the famed and lauded science fiction fantasy legend, Gene Wolfe, so much, because he wrote a few Christmas science fiction stories that really do work well. Um, Connie Willis is another person who does great ones. I've been trying to get her on the show for a couple of years, maybe one day, but if anybody out there has a you know, a lifeline to Connie Willis, let me know. But this story did science fiction in a way that grabbed me about Weird Christmas and paid off. So here is Blissful YOLO by David Steger. Right, said Darcy. That should do it. Now, hand me the Brillo. They made a last adjustment to one of the Plex Orbs, shifting the shiny Argentine sphere a bit lower on the spindly fractalite branch to where it caught the incoming brill just a bit better. Muriel looked up from their own task, that of draping the fluffer foam strings around the arbitress, and huffed. A little busy here. At the sound of snapping plex, they added a small curse and nearly froze, looking down. Careful, Darcy hissed. Those GIF cubes are impossibly expensive. Nope. No harm done. 
Muriel crouched to examine the cluster of garish, box-like sculpies underneath the spread of needly green arms. Just knocked a peg off one of the stands is all. Won't even see it from the obport. Darcy exhaled, a mixture of aggravation and relief. Don't worry. Just be extra cautious coming out, okay? They went to fetch the Brillo for themselves. As Muriel extricated themselves from the scene, Darcy took the polytine Brillo from its case. Clicking their hover pads to life, they floated to the top of the structure to set the final piece in place. They touched down to the flooring with a satisfied sigh. Don't understand why the Obdeck can't just leave this up all cycle, groused Muriel. Such a pain to reconstruct every time. Darcy smirked. Habit more than anything, I suspect. Besides, ancient religions of the second and third millennium just doesn't have the same draw as some of the protozoological exhibits. Tell me about it. Rory has been trying to get me to see the binary mating practices of early humans for almost two flips now. Darcy rolled their eyes. They studied the image on their tap pad, compared it with the exhibit. Looks good. Together, the two stepped out and sealed the port. Hit the surge, will you? Muriel complied. All the brills flickered up and beamed through the view glass in a sparkling festival of color. Darcy input the name display. All holy bobblegum tree, authentic totem of Santos Christus. Blissful YOLO, said Darcy. With a pleasant cycle ahead, said Muriel. It's time for the last of our category winners, and this one had tons of competition. So over the summer, I asked for some ideas for categories I could use this year, and Fabtacular from Twitter suggested cryptids. That made total sense, since everyone's now into like local cryptid lore and whatnot, and Christmas has its fair share of them already, with Krampus and Gorilla and the Yule Cat and whatnot. So this year I got lots of evil Santas, evil gift givers, strange North Pole creatures, lots of good stuff, some of which you've already heard. But the one that really stood out is this one, Humbug Hazel. Now, she may sound like she's going to be a funny creature at first because of the name, but settle in. This one pays off in the weird and creepy like nobody's business. And by the way, the hosts of the Global Strangeness podcast stepped up to record this one for us, headed by Scott Hay, who's been helping me out for a while. So here is the winner of the Christmas Cryptids category, Humbug Hazel by C.L. Siddell. No wreath, no tree, no lights. Humbug Hazel will give you the frights. What's the time? Scared? Jacob asks. Bored, I reply, and ready to leave. Come on. Kara hooks me with her doe-eyed stare. Hey, please. I know she only wants to impress Jacob. Or Matt. Maybe both. She's got a short attention span. Fine, I mutter, but you owe me. What? We were at Matt's cabin just outside of town, seated on sofa chairs, wrapped in blankets, fireplace blazing. It's December 28th, prime time for Humbug Hazel to strike any place lacking festive decor, like this one. So, we 
sit and wait for nothing to happen? Just you wait and see, Jacob says, tipping his beer for that final drop. This guy, really? I whisper in Kara's ear. Hush. I fall asleep to the sound of fire crackling, crackling, rustling, clanking. What? Eyelids popping open. I see a hideous creature towering before the fire. Um, um. Uh-huh. Beside me, Kara stirs, then screams. Ah! Holy shit! Jacob shouts. Hit it! Matt yells. With what? Your phone, I don't know. Humbug Hazel exceeds my worst imaginings. Bones trim its mad fur cloak. Claw-like fingers extend from flared sleeves. Lionesque feet protrude from the hem. Rabbitish ears flop over the cherub mask concealing its face. As Jacob and Matt waffle, Humbug Hazel reaches for the sack hanging from its chain belt and shakes it, creating a tinkling sound. Must make pretty, it rasps, then suddenly whips its belt around the room, knocking Jacob upside the head and... Blackness. Groans wake me. Jacob's lying on his side near the fireplace. I crawl toward him. Blinking against the pounding in my head. You okay? I turn him over. Whereas I should be. There are now red ornaments reflecting the flickering flames. Ugh. Trying not to gag. I survey the room. Kara sprawled under the window. Green glass glinting from her sockets. Matt splayed by the door. Gold baubles gleaming. And there's Humbug Hazel. Stuffing Matt's eyeballs into its sack and lumbering toward me. Must make pretty, it rasped, two violent bulbs dinging from its claw. Very well-deserved win with that one. So congratulations to all the category winners. Again, C.L. Siddell with Humbug Hazel. Mark Mance with Christ Panzer and An Angel for Christmas by Han White Oak. Remember, you can go reread any of these stories. All of the ones from the show are at weirdchristmas.com. Get bios, get links for all the authors and readers. We're going to save the big overall winner for the end, though. Now, this next one, I'm giving a content warning, okay? My wife questioned whether I should even include it, which I suppose is fair. I'm walking a fine line here because I, I don't want to give it away, but there's some heavily intimated violence against women. Not sexual assault, just straight up good old violence. But I want to respect my wife's reaction by putting that up here. So I still think the story is good and weird and obviously not at all saying this violence is good or normal. But what we're getting is a pretty heavy glimpse into a damaged soul. So obviously I still like it or I wouldn't be playing it. <laughs> but I just want to be clear. I'm aware of the issues involved. If you've made it this far, though, you know, Christmas in my title is hardly sweet and sentimental. Um, so this is an absolutely horrific story. So, yeah, here's your disturbing stocking stuffer of deep-seated psychological damage underneath the Christmas tree by Paul Wilson. And this one I read myself to further take the blame. Johnny crept downstairs but didn't enter the living room. He savored the excitement. Blinking tree lights rioted. He paused, gripping the banister. 
This was the best Christmas moment, the anticipation, wondering if he received what he really wanted. Sure, there'd be toys. He had a good dad. There'd be Batman, Paw Patrol, a new video game. Not the new PS5. Johnny knew that. It was too expensive. He understood. He wasn't a jerk like Adam at school who said he'd kick his dad's ass if he didn't get one. Johnny was grateful for the important things. Home. Food. A dad. Who stayed, unlike Mom. Johnny wondered where Mom was tonight. Was she thinking about him? Sadness pricked his heart. His lip quivered. Then his father was there, hugging him, bringing the good smells of security and whispering, I know, I'm here. You're safe. Thanks, Dad. Don't thank me yet. You haven't seen what Santa brought. Ah, Dad. They went around the corner. Johnny reminded himself not to show disappointment if he didn't get what he really wanted. Dad always tried. Johnny gasped. Dad came through. Why had he ever questioned? Underneath the tree, wrapped in ribbon and rope, was Hannah Davidson, the girl who sat behind him in school. She screamed through the gag. She looked a lot like Mom. Mom wasn't here, but Hannah was. And here, his father handed him a brand new baseball bat. Merry Christmas, son. When I told the next author that she was on the show, she went full-on squee fangirl on me, which was pretty cool. So yeah, I outed you there, but that was that was fun. Who knew rambling into microphones and spending hours in dusty bins of postcards would make someone squee? But there it is. <laughs> she also wrote a pretty cool cryptid story, so I can fanboy a bit back at her. So here is The Nutcracker Sweet. That's S-W-E-E-T. Nutcracker Sweet by Daisy Shyglass. Ah, those ghastly, ghoulish Victorians. The nutcracker grinned, slobber oozing between his sharp teeth and onto his putrid lips. Since Father Friedrich hijacked the Feast of St Nicholas and the Christmas, his kind were now liberated from guarding the homes of mountain folk. No longer did they linger by axe-hewn doors to challenge rare strangers lost on snowy heights or fight malicious spirits. Instead, they multiplied by commercial thousands, invading homes of the rich in the West to watch Christmas unfold amongst stuffed fowl and green boughs on mantelpieces. A plaything. A toy. A happy soldier to fight the Mouse King, cracking walnuts by festive firelight. That's what the adults thought, anyway. The children knew better. Naughty children grabbed them, little static elves to support their misdeeds. Good children nervously observed them, staring in awe and wonder whilst practising their best behaviour. More fool then, <laughs> snickered the nutcracker. Everybody knew where the best nuts came from. Not the naughty children, oh no. The choicest pickings came from the pure... The good, the sweetest children doing their best to honour the strict rules of their parents. He swung down from the mantle on a garland of ivy, smearing spittle on a velvet bow. The fire was banked down now, embers glowing deep red until the morning. He stood 
still, watching the draught from the chimney breathe into the coals. It's hot enough, said a high voice behind him. He turned. The fairy from the now dark candle deck tree stretched out her wings and she dusted off her skirts, tiny sugar spangles glittering onto the hearth in a heap. Then let us go gathering nuts, said he. Come the morning, nobody would think to question the sudden appearance of a lidded crystal bowl on the sideboard, brimming with purple sugared treats, candied and glistening in the candlelight of the wake. To lose three sweet, good little boys to some dreadful hemorrhagic illness just before Christmas was a nightmare nobody would forget. How fortunate there were sugar plums to feed the fainting mistress to help her regain her strength. This next one's just plain awesome. And from her bio, it sounds like the author may have created a legit new Christmas character for a family. I don't want to say any more because the story speaks for itself in a delightful way. So here is Waxy. A Weird Hindu Chrismaka Tale by Shilpa Kanat. Swati's family of origin had celebrated Christmas as a cultural holiday for years, but since marrying into a Jewish family, she felt a nervous intensity throughout the holiday season. Her in-laws needed Hanukkah to feel outstanding while not depriving the children of secular Christmas fun. Swati did her best to play along. She hung up blue and orange stockings, bought everyone presents, and acquired a set of 44 rainbow candles, which satisfied the family's large LGBTQ plus contingent. On the fourth night of Hanukkah, Swati sat alone watching the burning candles and their reflection in the window, while everyone else watched a self-consciously trendy Christmas movie. She'd been asked if she wanted to do a puja or something, but the overlapping cacophony of celebrations around her was already too much. Diwali was in the autumn, there was no snow in California, so she couldn't build snow people with the children like she used to. As she watched the rainbow wax drip, Swati noticed the strange form it was taking at the bottom of the menorah, like a miniature snow person. No, a rainbow-colored candle person who seemed to be moving. Swati shrieked and pushed herself back on her rolling chair. Hi, the candle person squeaked. I'm Waxy the Candle Queer. What? Swati gasped. Waxy began singing. Waxy the Candle Queer, a Hindu Jewish soul with a purple face and lots of grace and a cape for Hanukkah patrol. Waxy the Candle Queer knows the menorah is hot tonight. Ayo, oive, we should play before we lose the light. Swati trapped Waxy in a glass jar, the way she trapped spiders she was releasing, and bounded for the back door. Wait, I'm not done singing, Waxy shouted. You'll melt as the candles burn down, Swati appeased. Here's a mini LED flashlight to help you get around. Try caroling. The neighbors will love it. She watched, relieved, as Waxy trotted to another house. Eating some of the children's guilt, Swati waited nervously for the other candles to burn down, but no more enchanted candle people emerged. No more nostalgia and longing, she told herself, never again. 
So when I geek out on things, I go full geek. I mean, Christmas cards were a random thing I stumbled onto 10 years ago. Look at me now. I'm also an academic, which means I made a career out of being able to do deep dives into any topic, uh, so deep that I try to exhaust the possibilities of learning what I can about it. Being an academic or scholar, is it's really just being a geek about things most people find boring and then getting paid for it. So when this next author's name hit my email, I was pretty sure I recognized it because, as I've said a few times, I am a huge Mystery Science Theater 3000 geek. And when the name Carla Rudy showed up, it struck a chord. And it was hitting my MST brain sensors somehow, but then it hit me. She was one of the puppeteers. Or at least someone with that name was one of the folk with their hands up crow's butt, basically. So I shot back an email, and I had to ask because... But I wasn't worried about whether I was going to be prejudiced, but I just had to know. So I was worried, too, because what if the story sucked? <laughs> but it all worked out. This was, in fact, the Carla Rudy who worked on the new MST3K. And her stories, all four of them, in fact, were awesome. So now it just became a matter of picking which one was going to be on the show. By the way, I'll give her a plug. She says she's working on a novel right now, and I already know it's going to be awesome, even though I don't really know what it's about. <laughs> so, But I picked this one in the end. Because it was the best mix of action, cryptids, funny, Christmassy, just overall good stuff. So I really hope you'll enjoy The Show Must Go On by Carla Rudy. The Santa Girl dancers were mean. That's what everyone at the theme park said about them. As their handler, they weren't exactly mean, just standoffish. There were seven of them, all the same height. They wore short red velvet dresses trimmed with white fur, their eyes and lips shellacked with glitter. Six times daily, they performed a cute dance routine to Santa Baby, nothing but sparkle and smiles, to thunderous applause. Then they duck backstage and retreat to the smoking area. Once I went back there to fetch them, and none of them were smoking. Instead, the whole area smelled strongly of sage, and they all held hands in a circle, murmuring. Five minutes, ladies! They turned and hissed at me. The last day of the Christmas season, there was a foreboding in the air. Dark clouds piled up, but refused to rain. The dancers were at places when I heard a loud rumble, followed by the sound of screams. I assumed it was thunder and told the girls to go back inside until it was safe. They pushed past me on stage. The asphalt in front of the stage had split and a gigantic tentacle emerged. It grabbed a screaming guest and pulled them struggling down into the depths. A second tentacle snaked out and a third. I stood frozen on the spot and watched the world collapse. The Santa girls leapt off the stage towards the monster. They pulled knives out of their fur-trimmed costume boots and stabbed it. The tentacles writhed around violently, but the girls handily sprang out of the way as they cried out in a language I had never heard before. Jessica, the dance captain, plunged her knife into the monster's horrible eye. It screeched out an unspeakable death knell and sank back down into the realm from whence it came. Just then, the opening chords of Santa Baby began to play. Streaked with unearthly gore, the Santa Girl dancers took the stage and danced their final show of the run. Those girls were professionals. 
I'd say this was our best Christmas season yet. This next one should be read in a Scottish accent, but the author preferred someone else do it. So I decided to do it, even though I'm not gonna even try a Scottish accent. But get ready for puns and malaprops and just overall good, weird funnies. So I hope you'll enjoy Christmas Dinner Mix-Up by Kennedy Meacham. Satan stood in the doorway. A naked flame ran past, singeing her leg. Kevin and Chris had their backs to the door, warming their hands in front of a roaring tiger. Satan coughed nervously. Chris and Kevin turned around. They stared at the figure. Who the fuck are you? My friends call me Tracy. You can call me Satan. Why are you warming your hands in front of a roaring tiger? Because the fire just went out. Kevin, you meant send the invitation to Santa, Chris growled at his hand-warming companion. It wasn't for me, Tracy asked. No, this dyslexic knobhead cocked it up. You're here now, so I guess we're stuck. Uh, sorry, I mean, welcome. Such a warm, heartfelt welcome it is. Hope it's okay, I brought some friends. As long as it's not the Grim... Oh, fuck. Chris stepped back as the Grim Reaper entered. That's a big scythe, Kevin commented. Grim looked at his crotch. Thanks. Tracy, what's GR doing here? We work together. This is a twofer. Chris looked bemused. Twofer? Two for one. Works night out plus Christmas dinner. <clears throat> I prefer Bob. Bob? Really? Bob Reaper? Your name is Robert Reaper? Mr. Reaper to you, potty mouth. Yeah, right, Robert. No reaping while you're here. Got it. Anyone else, Tracy? Jesus. Wow, happy birthday, Jesus. Se pronuncia Jesusa. You're not Mary's boy, then? No, soy banquera. You're a... Banker. Ah, banker. I thought you said... Sorry, no hablo espanol muy bien. Can we speed this up? My nuts are roasting on this tiger, Kevin shouted from the tiger side. Move away from the tiger, bomb pot, Bob laughed. Hot chestnuts, you bob in? Any more, Tracy? Charlie. Evening, said Charlie in a baritone voice. Are tree fairies not all female? I identify as non-binary. Really? Jesus. See? Jesus stood up. Tu no, idiota. Frosty the snowman was coming, but he got too close to some roasting chestnuts. Now he's a puddle of regret. And last, but not least, Rudolph. Ah, venison for dinner. We're gonna need a bigger roasting tin. Okay, I've done this one a bunch of times. I think it really needs a good actor, or if you go read it, it's actually even better that way. So sorry if I wasn't as perfect as I could have been Kennedy, but I laughed like hell when I read it. We have come to the end, and the end means the winner. This story grabbed every one of my readers from the get-go, so I was pretty sure it would be a winner, if not the winner, and lo and behold. But it's got everything. A bit of gore, a bit of yanking on your heartstrings, a bit of, oh God, Jesus, no, why is someone imagining this and making me imagine it too? Help me, Lord. And a bit of Christmas atmosphere. I don't know what else to say except that I'm so grateful I got to read something that is at once obviously a Christmas story and at the same time so disturbing. Christmas should not include horrors like this, but thank Shoggoth it does. So here is the winner of the 2022 Weird Christmas Flash Fiction Contest, 
Stocking Trade by John Wolfe How many for the pair? the woman asked. The big man answered. Her face paled, and not due to the cold. Is what it is, he grunted. Why so much? Production costs. He held up the stockings. Their red sides glimmering like firelight, their ruffs whiter and purer than aspen slopes. A passing car illuminated the scene, and two names sparkled gold in the white fur. She blinked. How did he know her name and her husband's name? Had she told him? Had they been there before? The light passed, but the name still floated before her eyes as golden shadows. She fiddled with her purse. Card? He shook his head. Who refused card? Everyone had those little chip dealies nowadays. But the gold names beckoned. She handed over the cash. The man pocketed it and touched the side of his nose. The words escaped her. Can I get one for my dog? He looked at her, slack-jawed. My little dog, Tintin. It would be so perfect. The man trudged to his trailer. Be a minute. Go and get a tree. Happy to be gone, she ran off in search of her husband and the tree for their new home. Inside the trailer, the darkness breathed. The man could feel them all around. He sighed. Need one more. A hundred squeals of horror answered him. He unsheathed his hacksaw and flicked on the light. The floor of the trailer came alive with sleek, red, and white bodies writhing in their collars. One of the older elves clutched something to her tiny chest. Don't make this harder than it needs to be. It wasn't too difficult, physically anyway, yanking the baby out of her arms. It shrieked with the rest of them. He didn't enjoy it. Who would? But the big box stores and online boom had taken a chunk out of his business. Times were tough all over. He placed the saw just above the knee, where the red hide was broken by a line of white fur, the name Tintin already forming there. Then Santa got to work. The End Thank you again to all the contributors this year. Thank you to everyone who submitted a story. I hope everyone will indeed try again next year when I will have been doing this for more than half a decade, which is kind of crazy. I did tell a few people that I had to turn away stories that I thought were great and that I might do a follow-up show, maybe for Christmas in July, where I take some stories that I loved but had to turn down and finally give them a home from this year, maybe also from previous years. I'd have to go ask, of course, but... I mean it when I say I have to pass on stories that I really do love. Uh, but the shows have already gotten way longer and longer every year. There's only so much time and space before people will wander away and just not listen or read anymore. So look forward to that, I hope. Sorry, this one came out after Christmas. I had some last-minute technical problems and scheduling and getting good recordings and boring behind-the-scenes stuff. I truly am a one-man show here. My family does expect me to be, like, around so most of the work does get done late at night after everyone's asleep and I'm working on caffeine fumes. But if just a few more people would donate, like, you know, $10,000, maybe I could do this full time. Just saying. But speaking of donating, thank you so much to everyone who did donate at ko-fi.com. Again, 
ko-fi.com slash weird Christmas. Thanks to help pay for the prizes. You are the ones who literally made this possible because without prizes, I'd get maybe five entries. So, you know, if you too would like to help the contest and help it grow next year, please consider donating any amount you can at ko-fi.com slash weird Christmas. And again, links to that are at weirdchristmas.com as are the complete text of all the stories here, bios for each author. If there's one that you heard that you really, really like, please go check out the bio to get links to other stories, other books people may have written. Um, but I wanna be a place where other writers can get a little bit of exposure too. So the one thing I do wanna say is that the show has definitely attracted more and more consistent quality over the years in terms of submissions. Not that the early ones were bad at all. I mean. And some of my favorites are still from that first year. But I still really like to offer a chance for new writers to get their voice out there. Okay, but I'm also starting to get submissions from writers that I actually like recognize. <laughs> so I read all the big genre magazines like Fantasy and Science Fiction and Strange Horizons. And I listen to Podcastle and a lot of the ones that do it. And a lot of the folk this year have been published in those places before, which is really cool for me. That's amazing. So if I can increase the prizes, it's only going to attract more and more people. And I don't take into account where you published before when reading the stories. In fact, I sometimes like if people send me bios or what they've written before when you're submitting something, I intentionally don't read them. I don't want to know. But names, if I've seen your name before, then I'm going to recognize. And my other readers, too, they don't know because they're not as geeky as me on that front. <laughs> but that's, it's incredibly gratifying to be able to give a spot to newbies and establish voices like that at the same time. So thank you, everyone, for helping me with the best thing that I do all year long. I still have a couple episodes to go this year if everything works out. I did get a late start, but we're still comfortably within the 12 days of Christmas that only start on the 25th. So I've still got more time before I'm officially late. But look for the contest announcement for the next year's contest over the summer, when I'll try to have one or two new categories, I think. But thank you all again. I hope you enjoyed the stories as much as I did. Thank you to all the new writers and new submitters this year. Thank you as well to the veterans who I know and love. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy New Year, happy holidays, and please don't let Santa stuff you in his bulging, sweaty sack. cats are hissing i guess we're only gonna get one take i hate cats i have six of them six craig six i'm allergic to them this is why this is why i focus on my hairless cat all right let's try this again i wish, I wish there was something more for arbor day i feel like arbor day is really lagging and strangeness i don't know maybe we can look into that all right here we go